five, scores! Rick Five. We've decided to get ourselves back in the game again with our podcast. Rick Five. Probably the craziest story that you're ever going to hear about hockey. We're going to be coming back to you on a regular basis. You are listening to Squid and the Ultimate Leafs fan. Hello, Canada and hockey fans of the United States and Newfoundland. And an extra big hello to Canadian servicemen overseas. Welcome, everyone, to the Squid and Ultimate Leaf Fan Show. I'm Mike Wilson, the Ultimate Leafs fan. Joining me, as always, my winger, Ricky Squid Vive. After tonight's squid, we're down to the final four, and the compete level is going to rise mm-hmm. another notch. Just what we live for. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, the funny thing is, like, you're looking at two really good series that are going to be going on in, in, in the final four. I mean, you know, everybody – you know, thinks Colorado is going to walk all over Edmonton, but I'm not so sure about that. I mean, Edmonton has been playing pretty damn good. Uh, the only thing, the only difference might be goaltending. I think when it comes yeah, to the series, 100%, 100% you know, but, and then of course, either the Rangers or Carolina are very capable of beating uh, Tampa as well. So, I mean, it's going to be pretty exciting. And, and I think I I'll be honest, I'd be I would not be shocked if both of those series go six, seven games. Yeah, I mean it looks that way. I mean, I I, I can't imagine uh, Edmonton getting away with the kind of goaltending. Smith's been okay, but he's let in some bad ones and he seems to be like he's yeah. skating right down the edge, but maybe that's a sign of things to come. But you're not gonna get away with that with Colorado coming at you, like the force they have. No, I mean they're they are a pretty stacked hockey team right now from the back end. Goaltending has been okay. It hasn't been fantastic, but it's been good. Uh, but when you look at their defense and their four lines, I mean, wow, they, they've got a heck of a hockey team and uh, yeah. they got, they got a lot of speed. They got, they got skill. Uh, they, they got physical players. Uh, I mean, they, they are a very, very solid team. Yeah, and it's in this other series with them, and this Tampa team's been sitting around for a week. But this one, thank God, it's over after tonight. I just got like I can only watch this one, this Carolina Rangers series, like in bits and spurts. It just doesn't, just doesn't seem that same feel as the other series do. Well, I mean, Carolina hasn't. They, I mean, they're they're seven and zero at home, and they're zero and six on the road. <laughs> I mean, come on. Well, you know, I guess if you're a betting guy, you would go Rangers tonight, you know, just for that to break the spell at some point. It's, yeah, it's well, you think pretty good odds, but I'm not a betting guy, so no, uh, not on those two teams anyway, because you never know what you're going to get out of them. And uh, it's funny because the only time I ever remember was a year that I finished uh, in Rochester my last year in Buffalo. We went to the semifinals. We lost to Adirondack. Barry Melrose was coaching. They played Newfoundland in the final. And all the road teams won every single game. <laughs> and Newfoundland had home ice. And Adirondack won all four games in Newfoundland. And Newfoundland won all three games in, in Adirondack. So uh, anything can happen, right? <laughs> That is, well, that's that's got to be one for the books. You don't see that too often where teams do that. No. That, that's a complete reversal. Usually the first game of a playoff series, the home team is at a bit disadvantage. The away team usually can upset them. But to have that done four times, that's quite something. Oh, yeah. 
it was crazy uh, watching it and following it. And I couldn't believe it. Actually, it was just like seven games and the road team won every single time. <laughs> While Scott, we'd be remiss if we didn't mention Jason Spezza. Not surprisingly, retires, takes a front office job, and not also, you know, not totally shocked by that either. Uh, as a special assistant to Kyle Dubas, but the role is not really defined as of yet. They're going to discuss it in a year. What are your thoughts? I mean, well, actually, let's just say, say this. We did suggest at the beginning that an assistant would be good for Dubas to work with, and we had actually, our choice had been Dale Talon. But having said that, the respect Spezza has gained around the club, uh, this could maybe lead to bigger things down the road for him. Yeah, I could. And, and uh, you know, Jason's a pretty smart kid. Uh, well, when I say kid, I call him a kid, but he's, yeah. uh, what, 30, 37 or 39, whatever. 39. Or 39. Okay. He's so he's, kid's he, kid compared to you and I. <laughs> he's not close to us, though, Mike. Not even close um, to me. But, uh, you know, I, I, I think a conversation went on that, like, you know, well, we'd like to have you back, but we just can't really fit you in here. Uh, but we'd like to keep you around in the organization, and I'm sure that's how it all kind of got started. And uh, lo and behold, he, he's moved in there. And uh, you know what? I, I think he's going to do a good job. I think he'll find a place somewhere in there. I don't know if it'll be assistant to the general manager necessarily, but at some point he'll find a job in that organization that suits him very well. Well, here's something to speak to in this. And what I like about the fact that they're going to give him, this is something like used to happen in the brokerage business where I was. They bring in the recruits and they'd work in different departments for a year to get a feel for their where their skill sets mm-hmm. sort of blended with the firm or where they get a feel for where they feel comfortable. Now, from a player's perspective, how, if any, do player relationships in the room change with the player along these lines? I think you know where I'm going to go with this. Mm. I mean, I've had guys, well, think about this now. Like, I've had guys tell me they've even just moved to the media, and players look at them kind of guarded now, like, what can I say to you now? Because I don't want to be hearing it on the air or reading about it in a magazine article in the newspaper. Management's a whole different level. And it's like, as an example, you went through this with, like, Dan Maloney. I mean, it's mm-hmm. tough Years of the guy on the road discussing how to beat an opponent or bashing a coach or the owner. And now all of a sudden, as your boss, he's reaming you out in your office because you haven't scored for three games or something like that. It's a little different feel for you. Yeah. Uh, I, I mean, how active he's going to be with the players, I'm not sure. Uh, you know, I mean, obviously he's going to be, you know, probably following – Kyle around learning what's going on and trying to find his, his uh, niche in, in whatever he wants to do with the organization. So I don't know if he's going to have a lot of conversations with the players, but it, it would be pretty awkward, uh, awkward uh, uh, for him to come in and start talking to the players. Cause they're going to be like, Oh, he's management now. Like uh, I better be well, careful what I say. Talk about yeah. you guys with Maloney, how you guys went through that with him. That was tough. That was very difficult. Uh, the first two years were, uh, the first year was really tough. The second year, about halfway through the year, he started coming around, started, you know, understanding what it was yeah. like and treating us with a little bit more professionalism. And then just at the point where he was becoming a good coach and a good communicator, they wouldn't give him more than, than a one-year contract. So off the Winnipeg he goes. So 
you know, that's just another Jerry McNamara and, and Harold Ballard move. <laughs> well, yeah, well, that because that was very tough during that period for you, especially because as captain of the hockey club, he was making you an example to try and set things straight with the room. And I mean, even Russ said, you know, sometimes he went overboard with it to try to establish that, but he was turning into a good coach. And then yeah. he finally was starting getting the ground and the respect. So I'd suggest that it's not quite the same being in a role that Spez is going to have, but to a degree, he's going to have to earn the player's respect again from that they can trust him and they can be open with him and so on and so forth. All those things you use for when you're working with people. Absolutely. There's no question that he's going to have to earn their trust and uh, the fact that, you know, Hey, I'm not going to go to Kyle, everything you tell me and tell him everything. And, and that sort of thing. I want to have a conversation with you. It stays between us. Um, Dan was a different situation. I, at first, he, he kind of took it out on all the young guys. And then one of the young guys, and uh, well, it was the guy you mentioned, Russ, went to Jerry McNamara and said, you know, Dan's yelling at all the young guys. So he told, uh, McNamara told Maloney, you cannot yell at the young guys anymore. So then he started taking it out on us. <laughs> we were the only ones left. <laughs> Well, so I mean, it's a really fine line. The role I would like to see Jason is I like to see him working with the players. And, you know, the guy, one of our pet projects is somebody like Pierre Engvall, who we've talked about, who just needs that little push of confidence Mm -hmm. to get him going. But I think really where he can make strides and this is where they really have to step up. And Kyle has been really vocal about this, about the Marlies. It's about goddamn time. These guys have to step up and they've got to come not just to show up at camp in good shape and work hard. They got to come up with the intention. They're coming to steal a job, period. No questions asked. I know every player has that attitude, but they some listen. The guy we had on the show last week, Matthew Barnum, and if you haven't listened to that first part of the uh, two parts here with mm-hmm. him, I highly recommend listen. This guy's so candid and direct and funny. He's one of the best interviews we've had. Listen, this guy, first day training camp at the Sabres, said, Who's the toughest guy? Rob Ray. He fought him three times in 15 minutes. Got beat up three times in 15 minutes. Although he said, no, I did a little better in the third one. But even Rob Ray said to him, okay, kid, enough. Like, like I'm tired of beating you up. But he wouldn't stop. And by the end of camp, management said to him, we normally carry 20. You're going to be the 21st guy. We don't know what we're going to do with that. We're going to find a spot for you. And guess what? The guy's standing in the National League 15 years. That's that's what you need. That's That's what these kids have to bring to camp next summer or next September. Yeah, I couldn't agree with you more, Mike. I mean, they're in a situation where they need four, three to five guys to step up and grab jobs with the Maple Leafs and, and then go out and, and perform uh, the way they're capable of. And, uh, you know, it, it's, I, it, of all years, this coming year is going to be the most crucial that they have three to five guys move up and take jobs and then go out and have decent years uh, in the National Hockey League. No, you're right. Yeah, you know, I mean, guys like Brent Senny, Alex Steve's got a taste last year. Robinson, who's got a leg up on these guys, well, you know what? Take the leg away from them. They got to go in there with you and tell me, I'm going to play in front of you. Joey Anderson, no excuse. He's playing in the National Hockey League. He's played with New Jersey. He's got NHL experience, scored 26 goals last year. Come in and take a job. Now, I know if he was sitting on the point, he goes, Mike, what do you think we want to do? Like, I want to make it. But, or Josh Hosang. You know, he's another one. You know what? Enough. Go and get him. You know, I mean, this, this, I mean, I know we're 
pounding on these guys, but this is what you guys got to come in with that attitude. And I think this is where Spezza can give these guys a kick in the butt and work with them. Yeah, I, I think you're right. I mean, I think he can sit down and have candid conversations with them. I think about that and, and maybe light a little bit of a fire under their rear end and, and uh, get them moving. Well, yeah. And, and, uh, and the idea being, guess what? If you're not going to do it, we're going to bring in the next bunch that will. Mm-hmm. So in other words, your job at the Marlins isn't safe either. You know, we're okay with this. This is a lost leader for us to, to develop players. So if we have to move guys in and out, we will, because we're going to find the guys are going to step up in this lineup because we're so close. We're right there. And as an example, uh, that's Beza money. And now, even though it's so small, and I mean, I, you know, I'm being told that by guys that he would have played for even less if it was possible, but they would allow him because he had to play the minimum. But someone like Colin Blackwell, Give him a full year playing on that fourth line and use that key. He's not going to cost yeah. any more than what they cost Fezza. Give him a shot and let him go with it. Yeah. You know, and now yeah. the other thing we're going to talk about, Squid, is leadership. We're talking about the leadership. Well, you know what? Enough of that, two guys. More, No more excuses. You got Mark Giordano, who's been a captain on two teams. Muzzin's got the experience of the Stanley Cup. Uh, Brody's been there. Tavares is a season bet. Morgan Raleigh's going into his 10th year. You know, Matthews Marner, both six, seven years. These guys aren't mm-hmm. kids anymore. You got enough leadership, and no, no, no way do I mean this is not against Jason Spez, but maybe it's time for another voice to be looked to in the room. That does work, doesn't it? Uh, yeah, absolutely. And I, you know, I'll be honest with you. I mean, I think it's time the young guys kind of took over the leadership of this team, and uh, they're they're ready. I, I think they, you know, they showed it this year. Marner, Matthews had spectacular years, yep. and. And show that they can go out and, and, and be leaders. And I, I think it's time for guys like them to step up and and kind of join Giordano and, and Riley and those guys and be leaders of this this hockey club. Uh, and I, and I, I certainly think they're capable of it. Well, the only other thing these guys should be focusing on is watching the cup hoisted by one of their rivals and the look of pure joy and ecstasy on their faces and the knife they're going to feel going into their gut as they're watching that cup hosted hoisted over somebody's head and what could have been. Put it aside and get back to work. Everything that happened in the last few years means nothing. Put it aside. It doesn't mean squat. Let the process begin. How can anyone be more than down and out than Evander Kane was? And look what this kid has done coming mm-hmm. back and playing in the league. 12 goals in the, in the playoffs so far, and he shut Tachuk down the last round. Look at this guy. This guy's smelling the Stanley Cup. So you know what? No more excuses. Yeah, you just hope the hell that uh, Tampa Bay doesn't win it because then you're sitting there going, oh, my god!" Oh, wow, that's <laughs> – what are you going to say? That's just the way it is. And that, that'll that'll make the knife even go in a little oh, harder. Yeah, it, it'll go right into the street. <laughs> You know what? You want them to feel that pain. Don't look away. Look at that and yeah. have tears in your eyes watching that, you know, and motivate yourself that I've got to work just that little bit harder to get there. Yeah. Well, it's good. It wouldn't be one of our shows if we didn't go a week without speaking about our favorite, most polarizing player, William Nylander. You called me last week and said, have you seen this clip of him going around from the world championships? I don't know why I'm laughing. I should be crying, but this clip of him going around running guys at the world championships. And I mean, not just bumping guys just oh, to make no. it look like to get a hit. This is chasing guys down and running them over. So here's the thing. I know it's a little different facing an opponent that's over several times over the season. That's going to push back and push back a lot harder. 
But still, show a little of that in your game and you'll move to another level. It's not that difficult. Compete-wise, you'll be better. Trust-wise with the coaches, you'll be in a better books with them. And most importantly, on the score sheet, you'll score more. And Yeah, I mean, you know, and, and it's, it's not like he's a little guy like Robertson or, or someone like that. I mean, he's a pretty good size. He is. And um, it's funny because I, I – I watched that, and then they had Craig Button on, and he said, "I think they, 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 he's unfairly judged, and the way he plays and everything. He's a great player, and all." And I'm like, "Yeah, okay, Craig, he is a great player. He's got a lot of talent, but when you see what he's doing in the World Championship, playing for his country, as opposed to what he does in the playoffs, playing for the Maple Leafs, as far as the physical side of it, that's disappointing." I mean, yeah, very, it, very disappointing. 100%. And, and it's one of those things, you know, do you really want to, to, to laugh or cry? You know, as a fan, you just think, geez, like, do you really, where's that motivation? I mean, bring but, that heart with you but, here. Please, a little you bit. You know what, though? I, I will say, one of the things I've noticed over the years, when I, even when I played, um, and, and, you know, throughout the years, for some reason, for the European players, the World Championships and the Olympics mean more than the Stanley Cup to them. I don't get it, but... Well, they grew up with that. We grew up with the Stanley Cup. They grew up looking at the World Championships and the Olympics, so they're bred that way. But yeah, today's world, it shouldn't be that defined because with the worldwide, like they're they're... You remember in those days, back in our day, the 70s and 80s, they were watching a couple games a week, maybe. Now they can watch every game, like every night, and they watch 50 games a night if they want. So it's, it's so there's no excuse for them not to understand what the significance of it is. So I find no, that I, I agree. And I, I don't want to, I, I mean, I certainly don't no, want to paint, paint everybody with the same brush because they're not all like that. Uh, but, you know, I mean, it's certainly in the 80s when they started first started coming over that was that was definitely the way i mean that was more important to them than winning a stanley cup now well, think about this well, things have changed over the years uh where the stanley cup has become important to them uh but but when you see what he was doing over there <laughs> i'm sorry yeah. but i had I, I was laughing my 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 rear end off because i'm looking at him going Really? Like he just skated back as hard as he could and knocked the guy flat on his ass. <laughs> oh, my God. Well, I mean, just to your point about that, I remember a couple of years ago when Detroit was out of the playoffs and Pavel Dadzuk was still playing. Now, how do you get any better than him? So they asked him mm -hmm. he was going to join the, the, his team right off the bat, and he said, no, he needs a couple of weeks to get in shape first. Like, wait a minute, you just played 82 games, collected $7 million a year, and you got to take a couple weeks to get in shape to go play in the Worlds. Like, I'm the owner. You know, like, okay, like, what is that all about? Now, guys, uh, you know, well, that might have been that might have been him really not wanting to go and play there. Uh, well, I know, but still doesn't sound right. Come up with some other excuse, know. okay? So, I know, that, I know. That, <laughs> that was that that was the best one. Yeah, I got. I, no, I can't. I just played 82 games, but got to get in shape, and I'll go to the Worlds. I'll be there in a couple of weeks. Well, I guess Anyways, William, William must have took a week and a half off and, and got in better shape, I guess, the way he well, was playing did. that. 
seven games. He took seven games off. He just played river hockey for seven games, and he got himself uh, ready for training camp. Uh, now don't be cruel, Mike. Come on. <laughs> I know, I know, I know, I know. Now everybody be sending us notes going, oh, you guys are a couple of jerks, but no, no, no. <laughs> uh, anyway, Squid, quote of the week. Um, while the guys may be still feeling down watching others succeed in front of them, Let's not complicate things too much. So we're going to try and keep it simple. So you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to pull a Yogi Bear quote out. Just mm, okay. keep it very simplified. I love your quotes, or the majority of them anyway. I think you like this one. Okay. Losing is a great motivator. Well. <laughs> Remember, I mean, yes. obvious, right? It, it, yeah, I mean, obviously it is. Um, but losing over and over and over again can get pretty frustrating too. And uh, <laughs> well, it's kind of, you know, use it as a motivation. Yeah. Well, there I we mean, have it. I, I agree with that. Um, yeah. And then that's what they should be thinking about all summer long. It's kind of like, you know, Hey, we didn't get the job done. We need to get better. We need to play a little harder. We need to block a few more shots. We need to, Whatever the heck it takes. I mean, exactly. if you look at Tampa uh, against Florida, especially, I mean, gosh, they were blocking 30, 40, 50 shots a game. And any of them that did get through, they had a brick wall in the in the net. So that's, well, I mean, that's, and that's going to continue for another couple of rounds, it looks like, or at least one more round, that's for sure. So that's all we have today for you folks. Until next Monday, Monday is a new time. I'm cheating a little bit because I play hockey's now at 4 o'clock on Wednesday, so it's a little tough to do this. So Monday's now. Besides, Leafs will do this right up until the free agency. But don't forget to tune in to this week's Squid and Ultimate Leaf Fan podcast, part two of the Matthew Barnaby interview. We already talked about him, and it's definitely worth listening. I'm not going to have any more, but do yourself a favor and listen. That one drops Friday at 6 p.m. Also this weekend, I'm trying to get Squid to come up to here if we can get some books. Uh, I'll be at the Hockey Expo at the International Center, which runs from uh, Friday till Sunday. Uh, drop by, say hi. I'm happy to discuss anything in the appraisal business, hockey, leaps, or anything along those lines. Come on by. Maybe you'll get a surprise, and Squid will be sitting there with a couple books to sell. So we're waiting on if we can get some for him or not to sell. But if in the meantime, drop by and say hi anyway. Thanks for listening, everyone, and we'll talk to you next Monday. Well, I was going to say now, Bernie, 95, 98, that period, you have two solid years offensively. Another year not as, as strong as those, but you put almost 900 minutes and penalties up. So you're obviously being well-known throughout the league and making your presence felt. More as an agitator at that point, but did you continue to motivate yourself to play that way, or did you just, or did you just feel it was expected of you to play that way? Ooh, that, that's a great question. Um, listen, I, I was never – I was always an agitator. If, if, if someone had to ask me what my role was, I, I was an agitator. I want to get under people's skin. I want to draw penalties, but the power play goal, let the power play go out and, and score. I thought there was potential for me to play and, and play on a higher line as, as we went through, but also willing to fight the heavyweights if that was necessary or because I overstepped the line. So I consider myself an agitator. I, I didn't do anything because it was expected. I did it because I thought it was what I needed to do to create a name or a persona um, and create a role. And so that, that's why I did it, not because it was expected or uh, people wanted it. It's because I, I 
I knew how I had success in junior and I tried to bring that over to the NHL because, you know, I was never going to be a scorer in the NHL. I, I could put up 40 points at times, or I don't even know what my, my biggest number was, but I, I knew I could put up those kind of numbers, but also in the role that I played, there, there could be 15 games where I'd go without a point. That's just the fact of not playing uh, on, on special teams. You can go 15 games without putting on a point, playing 12 minutes a night or 13 minutes a night uh, with some bad luck. So I know the one thing I could control was to be a pain in the ass to play really hard and yeah. and to fight some of the big guys um once in a while or when we went down to nothing to stir stuff up and make sure that the other team knew that i was in the game therefore my fans would know that i was in the game making you a popular player always the top scorers if you have a really good goaltender and the fighters those are the the jerseys that are always. sold uh most along the way so if you can create that persona and that role um, you make yourself very valuable. Okay, so I got a question for you. Jim, was Jim Pizzatelli your athletic trainer at the time? Oh, yeah. <laughs> Did you get a robe? I have, well, I have a picture. I, I'm actually <laughs> going to stand up really quick. I'm going to stand up really quick. <laughs> so this, I don't know if the, the camera. Yeah, I can see it. Yeah. <laughs> the robe. Oh, we got that picture. You got that picture. Okay. It is there. Yeah. There you go. You have a great, great producer right there. That's pretty fucking awesome. That's Glenn Dreyfus. Uh, by the way, I did about 300 push ups uh, before that photo shoot. And all the guys were like, well, hey, why the fuck are you doing push ups before the photo shoot? I go, because they asked me to have my shirt off. And I, not doing Sports Illustrated, was looking like I'm absolutely jacked. So, yeah. So, <laughs> I'm dehydrated there, and uh, my right arm looks awesome. Bad tribal band, though. Uh, but, yeah, you gotta, but G Jimmy you, set up a lot of fights. But you got a robe. That, that was pizza's big thing was the robes. And I remember him handing them out to certain guys. And uh, I remember, I think, I do remember, I think, when Rob got his, Rob Ray. Uh, Brad May didn't take very long for him to get one. In fact, his first NHL game, he played on my line. I can't remember who our right winger was. I mean, our centerman. And we had to play against Mario Lemieux and Yager. And and he he was ter he was terrified. Like he was sitting in there going back and forth before the game. Like, and then we went out. I think we each had two points, and and they got nothing that line. So that that was a good start for him. I love Maisie. Now, I love Maisie. <laughs> Now, oh, Barney, I was going to ask you. I was going to ask you, Barney. Uh, watching you in those days, and we're going back to when I originally talked to you. So I thought maybe you would have liked to maybe have given a chance to be a little bit more of an offensive player, but you answered that question. But it seemed to me you enjoyed playing the villain. I mean, you always had a smile on your face, and it seemed to get wider the more you got under opponents' skins, and 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 especially the fans. I I I relished it. I loved it. Um, if I wasn't getting booed or shit thrown at me or death threats in a different city or whatever it may be, Philadelphia especially, then I wasn't doing my job. That's unequivocally yes. Is there points that I wish that I could have been more offensive? Yes, absolutely. I wish I, I, you know, do I think I could have scored 500 points in the NHL? Yes. Do I think I could have got 750? No, absolutely not. Now, 
I would have played even longer if I didn't have the role that I did. I, I would have played another five to six years for sure if it was today's NHL. But I wouldn't change. I wouldn't change the role that I played because I really enjoyed it. Now, I might regret that in 15 years uh, when I'm sucking <laughs> out of the straw and uh, had 12, 13 concussions in 400 fights. But I listen. I, I, no one, no one made me fight. No one made me do. I found a role that was very successful. You know, yeah, it would have been nice to score. You know, 400, 500 points. But you know, I'm, I'm, I'm happy with the role that I played. Hopefully, uh, I, I had a thing sent to me the other day uh, that I tweeted out. Um, like I said, when, when, Rick, you've, you've written a book, so you, you know, I. I to me, the most important thing when I look back, I, I didn't win a Stanley Cup. I wish I would have won a Stanley Cup. Do I regret it? No, I, I did everything I could. I just wasn't in a position to play on a team that won a Stanley Cup. There's a lot, lot better players than me that haven't won a Stanley Cup, and there's a lot worse players than me that have won a Stanley Cup. It's just I wasn't in the right place at the yeah. right time, and, and that just, just happened that way. But I got something said to me from New York Rangers from our team psychologist, and it was, it was attributes – as you as a player and as a person. And the stuff that was written there means as much to me as my NHL career because it's what my players thought of me while I was playing with them. That's that's unequivocally what I want to be as a person, um, how I treat people, and how people ultimately feel about me. I don't care. If I don't know you, I don't really give a fuck what you think about me. But people that I play with and I'm close with, I hope they think I'm a good person. And I have, I just hope my girlfriend thinks I have an average size penis, maybe a little bigger. <laughs> well, I got to, uh, you Don't know, answer that one, one, one of the things, no, no, no I'm not going to answer that, <laughs> but I think you brought it up. Like, I mean, your goal when you go into, cause I remember we weren't allowed to stay up to watch the hockey games at PEI growing up because it was later uh, so, but my father woke me up every single year when the Stanley Cup was presented to the winning team. So going into the National Hockey League, that was your goal, win the Stanley Cup. Never even got close, you know. And, you, you know, do you regret it? But then again, you look at the teams that when I was in the league, you had the Islanders, you had the Oilers, you had the Calgary Flames. <laughs> yeah. I mean, well, unless you're on one of those teams, you weren't winning a Stanley Cup. So. Yeah. <laughs> I was going to say to you, Bernie, okay, so now you're involved in lots of famous incidents, but one in particular was the one with the Flyers and Garth Snow. Do you want to walk through that one and how that all unfolded? Yeah, it's funny. Like, uh, I fought him the year before, just like threw a thing in a scrum, whatever, and it wasn't anything, but Garth, Garth loved, he, he loved that part of the game. So how that incident all, all transpired was I, I was cross-checked pretty hard and I just lost my win as, as I was in front. I think it was Sean Antosky that, that had hit me. A bigger guy, tough guy. Uh, but I also knew, like, if I stay down, like, my guys are coming to my defense. So there's no question. Brad May was on the ice. Bob Bogner. I know who's on the ice with me at, at all times. I know who's on the other other team who's on, on the ice for them. So they do come flying in and whatever. And then I'm laying there. Jim Pizzitelli comes out to make sure. I'm okay. And I'm like, yeah, I'm okay. I said, I'm a little winded, but uh, I'm fine. And I just remember asking him, is he alone? Is Snowy there by himself? 
uh, like, because he's going to do something stupid soon. I know it. I know it. I know it. <laughs> Everyone else is in a five on four brawl pretty well. And he's like, yeah, yeah. I said, if he comes near me, just be careful because I'm, I'm going to jump up. And he's like, okay. And he, we stay down. We stay down. There comes Snowy over and he tickles me a little bit. And he's like, you're a pussy. You're a pussy. <laughs> I pushed Jim out of the way. And you know you have about 10 seconds because everyone else and the refs are with the other guys. So I got about 30 shots in about 10 seconds on a goalie, which was awesome. And then Rod Brindamore came in and Rod, Rod's very strong, but he's not a, he's not a good fighter. Um, so then we had our fight after, but yeah, I loved giving it to Snowy. And then we became teammates in Pittsburgh. So I, I used to always tell him after like, after trip or whatever, I go, you want me to bring up the video? Like, uh, I crushed it. I win. You, know, you never win in this one. Yeah. So Matthew, the, uh, I guess that had to be kind of, well, I don't know what it was good or bad, ugly. The year that Buffalo goes to the Stanley Cup final and you get traded to Pittsburgh that year, like, how did that make you feel? And, and you know, uh, with everything that happened, of course, they lost with the foot in the crease by Brett Hall. Uh, but what, what was that like? Uh, probably, I don't want to say the hardest thing. I went through definitely way harder things than that. Uh, but those were, well, this was my own volition as well. So. Uh, I had asked to be traded because Ted Nolan was oh, fired. Okay. So I, I, I had asked to be traded when Ted Nolan didn't come back. Right away, I asked to be traded. Then I was paid $50,000 not to run Dominic Hasek, um, just just to keep me happy at the time. So this went on for about a year and a half, and eventually I was traded to, to, to Pittsburgh. So, you know, you go there, and I'm with – Yager and Straka and Lang and Kovalev, man, we we had we we had a pretty good we had a pretty good team. We ended up losing to Toronto in uh, the second round after beating Jersey, and you know Buffalo ends up winning and playing Toronto. So now you're cheering like you're not thinking. I'm not thinking about Buffalo. I'm just thinking about when you get traded. Who's the guy you get traded for? Stu Barnes. He went on a 15-game streak where he didn't score a point or a goal, whatever it was, and I was the happiest man on earth because you always want them to think that you're the better player, right? Like, oh, my God. Like, Stu Barnes is the nicest fucking guy you could ever meet in your life. Like, he is – I ended up playing with him in Dallas, the the greatest guy, but you're cheering against him because you want to be the man. And we get knocked out of the playoffs. Buffalo's doing really well. They play Toronto, and – Stu Barnes is on a heater. <laughs> guy, the guy can't miss. <laughs> like he's such a good player. He's scoring every night. Buffalo's loving him. Forgot about Matthew Barnaby. And and, and I'm like, this fucking sucks. <laughs> like, this sucks. So I moved back to Buffalo because that's where my house is. That's where my wife's from. That's where my kids live. That's where all my friends are. So I'm back in Buffalo for this whole Dallas thing. And I'm like, they they can't win the cup. Like, they they can't win the cup. They win the cup. I'm on I'm on suicide watch here. Like I'm 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 like take the shoes out of my take the laces out of my shoes. Um, this is this is this is not going to be fun. Now you're in Buffalo. Everyone's wild. Look at them savers. I'm like, oh yeah, it's really cool. Yeah, look at them savers. <laughs> look at them. So. 
fast forward to game six, because I've been living with this for two weeks of misery. Brad Mays back in town. We're at game six in a box. We are loaded. When I tell you loaded, we are loaded. And it's overtime, and we're just we're we're high-fiving in the back of the bus. We're going, we're in the back of the the box we're going into the bathroom when dallas scores and high-fiving and we're like Come on, they, gotta, they gotta pull it out now me and brad have a tea time the next morning at eight o'clock at transit valley you know transit valley yeah. it was where i was a member and we're in overtime we're in overtime and we're just like please do it now do it now please just i'm i'm not i'm not a big really i'm not a very religious person but I prayed to God several times during that night <laughs> to answer my prayers. I was like, Garth, Garth Brooks, unanswered prayers. No, I want answered prayers. And and they score. Me and Brad fucking erupt in the stands, in the box. We're high-fiving. We're ordering bottles of wine. We are going nuts. Now, you can hear a pin drop in Buffalo. We're like, I don't care. They didn't win the cup. As much as I want it for Buffalo fans and for the players, because they're great guys, um, that was one of the happiest days of my life. I was around the next day. <laughs> yeah. So we ended up going to the same bar as all the guys. They are, they are distressed. Me and Brad are drinking Captain Morgan and Cokes out of pitchers of water. The big one. We ended up, we couldn't get a cab. We walked two miles at seven o'clock in the morning to get to our tea time. Oh, <laughs> well, Barney makes this next question pretty easy because the next season you go back and you get in a fight with your former teammate, Rob Ray, after having dinner with him the night before. So that obviously was to send a little message. So talk about that whole story. Yeah, it was it was kind of funny, right? Like you, you have them over for dinner, and the wife cooks, and the, the couple of bottles of vino. We're just telling stories and, and whatever, and and then you you know you're running around. You're I'm being an idiot, like I'm trying to be on the ice, and I'm back in Buffalo, and and whatever it may be. And and he says, "Hey, Lindy said you don't slow down. Like we got to go. Like go tell Lindy to fuck off. Yeah, I think you know I'm not going to slow down. Like." Uh, that's not going to happen. So he's like, well, now I have to fight you. And he has to win. Like, he's the tough guy. He's one of the toughest in the league. Like, he's one of the toughest I've ever seen. So we end up, like, stick-swinging incident, and he hits me on the shoulder, and I whack him on the neck. And we go at it, and he's not really landing big shots, but he's winning, but he's not landing big shots. And I, I know he can't punch. I've played with him for seven years now. I know he can't punch with his left hand. So there's... There's no way I just have his right arm, just like a seatbelt on his right arm. Don't let go because that can do damage. Left, I was kind of like messing around with it. But if he wants to trade his left with my right, I'll go him any day of the week. But I don't think he's going to want to do that either because he knows he can't throw with the left. And I just have him and I start laughing because he's getting so mad because he's got to win the fight. Because I'm, I'm an agitator. He's a tough guy. We're at home. We're in Buffalo. I'm the asshole number one right now, and he can't punch me, and I won't let him. And he's getting so mad, and I just start laughing, and I start screaming at him at the end. I go, you can't hit me. There's no way you can hit me right now. I don't care how strong you are. I, I've fought 300 times. 
I know how to tie up a right arm. Now, if you really go with my left, I was fucked. But thank God he wasn't. So, yeah. He comes, to, he comes to give me a high five after the game, and my wife slaps him and gets in his face. I'm like, whoa, this is my fault. Don't, don't, don't take it out on him. Great, great guy, great dude, great person, uh, very average hockey player, uh, great for the community. Yeah, awesome. Razor is a great kid. Uh, well, I still call him a kid, but uh, that's because I'm older. But uh, I played with him, and he was a great teammate. Uh, awesome. But how many, how many NHL rules were made? Because of Rob, well, at least I mean two. the sweaters and and the elbow pads coming off and all that yeah. kind of stuff. Remember, they came out with a couple of different rules, the Rob Ray rules. Yeah, well, well, him coming out of his shirt, like he used to tie his shoulder pads to his his jersey, yeah. so he'd slide right out of it. And you don't want to fight a guy without a jersey. I mean, when you have nothing to grab onto, if I didn't yeah. have a jersey to grab onto, I'm dead. <laughs> We're not having this podcast right now, I can guarantee because he's got a big right hand. I okay. mean, big right hand. So, I mean, you have that. I mean, we were, we were, we were slitting our jerseys. We were Velcroing our jerseys where they'd pull our arm and our arms would just come right out. So, you know, Rip Simonic, our, our trainer, would have uh, us Velcro stuff. We, we'd have goalie uh jerseys made just so we could have our arms if we knew we were gonna fight. We had different jerseys. It was it was just insanity stupidity uh what we were doing just to gain an advantage. And then they make a rule and you find something else. Okay, you can't wear a goalie jersey. All right. Well let's 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 have Velcro all the way up our sleeve. So when they pull it, it just it just comes off and you you can't hold on. And if you can't hold on you're gonna hurt someone. Now who's idea were all these they had to be pizzas i'd say it was a conglomerate i'd say it was <laughs> everyone yeah i just yeah I, i'd say the players everyone i mean <laughs> I, I, I pizza was a driving force don't get me wrong rip rip didn't have but rip would be like hey we can do this we can do that like <laughs> pizza was a driving force but then we had we had guys that loved to fight, like Rob and Brad, and we had Brent Hughes at one point. We had Bob Bugner. We we had tough teams, and we, we'd sit in the dressing room before the game and go, "Okay, I, I got Grimson in the first period. Okay, I got him in the second. All right, I got Proby in the first. I got him in the second. And you like <laughs> angle to see who is gonna. I always be like, "Okay, well, I got the top. I got him third. When he's really tired, <laughs> that's when I'll take." <laughs> now. The next, the next couple of years, you move around a little bit, and you end up in New York, which is where you should be. Now, they must have loved you there because you had some good years there. Talk to us about that whole experience with the Rangers. Yeah, I, I went to Pittsburgh because I wasn't playing a lot. Uh, I went, Sorry, I went to Tampa because I wasn't playing a lot in Pittsburgh at the time. So we had Herb Brooks as our coach. We had Kevin Costine, who was a douchebag, terrible coach, um, very good X's and O's. Then we had Herbie Brooks that came in for a short period of time. Awesome. Then I played for Ivan Holinka. God rest his soul. Passed away. Didn't he liked me? He just didn't really respect the North American game and, and what I brought to the table. Which, but he was a great, great guy, really good guy. So Craig Patrick, I asked him, and he moved me within days uh, to Tampa. Torch didn't appreciate my style, um, and, and Torch is a good guy away from the rink. He's an asshole at the rink, but a good guy away from the rink. Uh, I went to New York, and we wow. You go to New York, and you got. Mark Messier and Peter Nedved and uh, we ended up having Burray and, and Yager. We, we had everyone. 
we had a $91 million payroll in, in uh, 2001. I mean, think of that. $10 million more than it is now in 2001, 21 years ago. So uh, I was real excited. I thought I was going to have a chance to win a cup there. And it, it just didn't work out. We never made the playoffs in, in almost the three years that I was there. But I had an opportunity after maybe a couple off seasons to regain my confidence. I played with Peter Nedved, then I played with Lindros, then I played with Messier as a center. So, you know, I was I was playing lots. Um, I was playing the, the right appropriate amount of time and had a lot of success. And, and MSG is the best place to play in the world, man. I wish we would have made the playoffs and had better runs in the playoffs. Uh, but to, to, to be there have a chance to play for that organization that treated us first first class and to play in front of those fans was pretty darn awesome. Well, I can tell you one thing. It was one of the worst places for visiting teams that go and play. First of all, you're down. you got to come out in the corner. The, the glass was terrible. I mean, if you play there all the time, you know what the glass is going to do, where the puck's going to go. But when you're the visitor, you don't. And, I mean, and the fans were crazy and uh, – I mean, like New York City itself was just crazy. I mean, the night before you're trying to sleep, the dumpsters are banging and crashing. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, New York is definitely a different bird. Like, you got to sleep in a hotel the day of the game because you can't get back, the traffic. Uh, but, yeah. you know, for atmosphere as a home person, oh, my God. I loved it as a visitor only because it was I, – I loved going to New York. I loved the restaurants. I liked – the nightlife, whatever, whatever it may be, not that we went out the night before a game, uh, but just to experience because, you know, I never really had that. I never played in a big city. I never was really in a big city uh, for a long period of time. So after games was really cool. I loved traveling there a as a visitor, but man, was it, uh, it's nuts. When you, one of the craziest things, I, I think it was like my fourth game. I'm sitting on the bench and I'm like, what the fuck are they chanting? And they're like, Potvin sucks. I'm like, <laughs> yeah, that's there, there's no Potvin on the other fucking team. Like, who the who the fuck is it? They're like Dennis Potvin. I'm like, why are they chanting Dennis Potvin? He hasn't played the league in 20 years. They're like, oh, it was a knee thing, and he's just arch enemy was the Islanders. I'm like, all right, pretty awesome. But every game for three years, I heard the chant, Potvin sucks at least three times, which is just, it, 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 it's an emotional place. And then you come in when you're out of the playoffs, and they'd be like, okay, we don't care if we win. Just just, just beat the Devils and the Islanders. That's all we care about. <laughs> well, no, and with the Islanders, if you go to an Islander game, they could be playing New Jersey, and they'll do all these chants, and all of a sudden there'll be one, they scream, Rangers suck. Yeah. Right yeah. in the middle of it all. And this <laughs> continuous battle between them all. Now, you mentioned Mark Messi a minute ago, Barney. What is it about him, his name comes up a lot, obviously, in this show, that separates him as a leader from the rest? I, I'd say, prep, prep, first of all, he's an amazing player, one of the best to ever play, right? His numbers speak for itself, and, and, and we know that. It's his preparation and, and commitment and ju just having belief. We didn't have success there, but he's a guy, he, he's like a general. You're going to follow him. And he doesn't, he doesn't speak a ton in the room. Not that he doesn't speak, but he doesn't, he doesn't waste words. I, I'm going to be the run running my mouth all day long in the room. 
And half, I, I was going to say half, but three quarters of what comes out of my mouth is, is gibberish. <laughs> with, with him, when he says, has something to speak, it's because it's, it's like super, super important. And he wants guys to buy in. So I just say his commitment when I play with him, he's a little older, uh, but in tremendous shape and took care of himself. And just, just his belief in him, himself, uh, but his vision for, for the team where we have to go. So we didn't have the success with him, but I can certainly see um, on a different team that it, it would have been there. He's, uh, he's a tremendous person. Uh, he was who I turned to first, him and Eric Lindros, to write my forwards for my book, um, just yep. because they're completely different. Completely different, uh, but Mark Messi as a leader, pretty pretty incredible. It's yeah, great. yeah. I mean, I, I mean, I played against him for a number of years, and uh, you know, that's it's funny because when when you you think of the Edmonton Oilers, who I played against for with uh, Gretzky and all those guys, but the name that always came up on the top was Messier. It was like he's the leader of this team. And I, you know, you think of Gretzky, Curry, Anderson, Fear. I mean, the list goes on. But the name that was always brought up when it, when it came to the leadership was Messier, and and you could see that. It, 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 there's, there's there's a Messier stare that not many people have. Yeah. In the sports world, right? Like there's <laughs> Gretz's. His numbers are, are absolutely insane. Uh, will never be touched, uh, even. With Connor McDavid, twenty-three points in ten games, uh, those those will never be touched. But there's a Mark Messier stare that he doesn't have to put up three <laughs> points, he doesn't have to score a hat trick uh, to change the game. And when he decides to turn that on, even at his age, that when I play with him, you could see be like, "Holy fuck! I can't imagine this guy at twenty-six years old with that <laughs> stare because he literally would break your face with an elbow or a stick, and it wouldn't bother him one bit." Well, I can tell you, he played for the Cincinnati Stingers in the WHA the year I played in Birmingham. He was 17 years old. And, I mean, even then you could see the leadership qualities that he had as a 17-year-old playing against men. And, uh, you know, and then, uh, of course, the rest is history, the career he had and Stanley Cups and everything else. Now, Barney, you've been known as a good chipper on the ice. And by the way, we want to thank you for taking all this time with us here today. We know how busy of a guy you are. And we really, really appreciate it. And our listeners are going to love this. Um, you've been known as a good chipper on the ice. Chirper on the ice. Any opponents you can think of that matched your wits in this regard? Well, I, I'd go with a better chipper, right? Because I chip the puck out in a lot. Um, I have a good chipping story because I we go back to when I was a rookie in Buffalo. And I tried to deke out. Doug Bodger at the blue line yeah. and John Muckler blew the whistle and he's like, Barney, come on in. And I'm like, what the fuck? Like, I just try to move, whatever. And he's like, how many points did you get in junior last year? I'm like, 111. And he's like, you'll never even fucking get close to that in this league. Chip the puck in, kid. Just chip it in. So the next shift, I chipped the puck in and I ran over Peter Sabota and He's like, what the fuck are you doing? This is a veteran of 12 years at the time. I'm like, I guess I'm going to chip the puck and just hit everything in sight. He's like, that's a pretty good idea. <laughs> but I ran him over. Um, you know what was really good? Steve Ott. Really, really good. Oh, yeah. 
Steve Ott was good. I, I was always in Eric Lindros's kitchen. He was easy to get under the skin. Obviously, he gave me a lot of material with everything that happened before he got in the NHL and when he got in the NHL. Uh, so, you know, I think he was easy for me. Steve Ott was great. The only time, because I never let people bother me, and some of my favorite terms, like, I will never, I won't use names, um, but a coach yeah. was yelling at me, calling him a pussy and, and, and this and that. And there was a tough guy on the other team. He's like, I'm going to send my tough guy out to kick the shit out of you. I go, all right, no problem. And he goes, you're a pussy. You're a pussy. And I just remember looking at him and going, thank God you're not on the ice. Cause you would have snorted the, 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 the goal line, the red line and the blue line <laughs> in your days. <laughs> playing in the 80s and he lost his mind and they, he sends out the guy to fight me and he goes hey I, I just have to make it look like I want to fight you but that's one of the best lines I've ever heard <laughs> in, in, in my life and then I remember this one guy I won't use his name either no, that's fine uh, Mike Pekka and he was, he was chirping me he, he, he was chirping me from the bench and I just looked down and I go hey is your defenseman tell you when he tapped your wife and that drew silence from the defenseman who was my friend, which was offside by me. But my favorite ever, my favorite ever was Kenny Johnson, who was, I think, a first rounder to the New York Islanders. Poor kid. He was like 18 years old, acne in his face, like the worst acne I've ever seen. And he came by our bench and I yelled, hey, Kenny, in North America, we eat the pizza. We don't sleep in it. <laughs> but the only time I was ever got, because I never, I never listened to people because they were, they were pretty good. Like, I know what you're trying to do. Get me off my game. Take a penalty, whatever it may be. Hurt my feelings. All right. I never knew my dad growing up. And we were playing Washington in the playoffs. And I said something really nasty that would not be, not be good right now in 2022. And I said to Chris Simon, because he was chirping me. The whole game. And I said something nasty to him back. Yeah. <laughs> and he he just looks at me when we're in the penalty box. He goes, how's your dad? And I was like, motherfucker. That one actually hurt. <laughs> I, I, go, I go, that one actually hurt because anything that's real hurts. You can call me a pussy or whatever. Like, that's not going to hurt my feelings. But how's your dad when I didn't know my dad and he left me when it, before I was born, like that hurts. So we had the same age, and I called my agent the next day. I go, "Did you tell Chris about that?" He goes, "No." I'm like, "Motherfucker, how did he find this shit out? How did he find this shit out?" <laughs> so that's the only time I got hurt. That's a that's a pretty good one. Now, yeah, yeah, yeah squid. You know, that's uh, well. You know, it's funny you, you get that information, and and you just keep it quiet. And then when it's time to use it, you just fire. It's oh, yeah. like you have to. I mean, you know, I mean, if you want to get under someone's skin, especially guys like yourself, uh, and like I said, I was kind of the same way. I didn't listen to anybody. I didn't give a yeah. shit, you know, what they, were, what they were saying to me or anything. And, and, you know, I just let it kind of roll off my back. And But there was a few things that hurt. And uh, when, when, they, when, when something like that comes out, boy, it, it stings. Well, when we were we were in game two when you're in the playoffs, and a guy two handed me and called me a pussy again. Whoa, wow, you call me a pussy. Ooh. Yeah. And I just looked. I go, hey, you better lay off. 
because I know you're banging a girl in Montreal and you want your wife to find out about this. And we were, we were on the ice and he was fucking rattled. When I tell you the next five games, he didn't say a fucking word. He didn't come, <laughs> he didn't come fucking near me. In, in the lineup at the end of the series, he shakes my hand. He's like, hey, how, how do you know this? I'm like, oh, I'm, I'm banging her friend. <laughs> That's the oh boy. The, uh, now, if you're at Barn, if you're doing the chirping, were you a prankster too? I, I was not not crazy extents, but yeah, yeah. No, I, I I I love to have a lot of fun, a lot of fun. Any you can share with us? Yeah, the, the funniest one. I, I was just with Todd Simpson. Uh, I played with him in Chicago and Marty Lapointe. Uh, was my roommate on the road. We were in Chicago, and we we were uh, we were at a Christmas party. Wives, every everyone was there, and the restaurant we were at half of it was the, the a restaurant, half of it was like a clothing store. But there was only like a little divider, like a like just a, literally a cloth divider that separated the two. It was owned by the same people, but they're like, it is what it is. So halfway through, me and Marty Lapointe had a couple drinks. We're like, hey, this would be funny. Let's go over here dress in like really tight clothing come back and start dancing so we go in we take our clothes off we put our stuff in we come back it's like night at the roxbury and we're dancing in like this tight tight clothing so we're doing it for about an hour but we're like all right getting a little chilly it's near christmas time and like we're cold so we go to prayer clothes back on nowhere to be found so Todd Simpson and a bunch of the guys jimmy dowd they had stole, stolen our clothes so the whole night now we're in like spandex at the <laughs> Christmas party, tight shirts, nipples out in the air, like the whole the whole thing. I end up getting stopped on the way home by the cops, and they're like, "Why are you like half naked? Aren't you, don't you play for the Hawks?" I'm like, "Long story, whatever." So we, we go home. I'm like, "Not gonna end like this." So anyone that's seen the movie Seven. We get off the ice. We bolt after practice the next day. Don't say a word to anyone. I get the keys to our uh, equipment van because we're not playing for a week. So we don't need to pick up anyone. Our equipment van's free. I get the keys to it, and we seal everyone's clothes, their cell phones, <laughs> their credit cards. You name it, we had it. Now, guys got to pick up kids from school they got doctor's appointments they have no money whatsoever and every night we'd come back to my house me and marty and we do like where we'd leave like clues and we just drop it off in the middle of the room at the square practice and i got wives calling me going like we need our we need it back like we need their car keys we need we need their wallets we we like they got to pick up kids from school i'm like yeah when you start something, I've never been one to start something, but I love to finish it. If you want to, get, <laughs> if you want to get in the war words, I'm usually not going to start it with you post career, but I, I trust me, I will make you cry at the end. So it went on for about four days. Uh, oh Jesus! Yeah, it was just, it was pretty good. And Todd Simpson goes, probably the best thing I've ever seen. It was it was ruthless and and mean and terrible. Yes. Oh. We are especially, especially in Chicago. I mean, you need a car to get around. Oh, yeah. <laughs> That's a big city. <laughs> yeah, you're not in Buffalo. <laughs> yeah. Now, um, 
you know, so Barney, just another couple of minutes here. We just did well to finish off. Maybe uh, tell us about your book that's coming out in the fall. You're saying, and what's uh, what's what's the theme of the book? Your career, obviously. Do you have any sort of theme to it? Yeah, well, I, I guess the theme would just be being unfiltered. Like on this podcast, a lot of the same stories, a little deeper in in into it. Um, you know, just failures along the way because we all have them. Um, and and learning 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 from them. Um, you know, I. I came from nothing. Um, I'm very proud of of how how what I accomplished, which which I don't even know if that's a thing. Whatever it is, um, not to quit. You know, like don't listen to people trying to put you in a box or or telling you what you can and can't do, and then just being very honest. A lot of the stories, a lot of saying when uh rob ray made out with a guy stripper with that was a girl um <laughs> that he didn't know about uh dennis rodman where i shit my pants uh in chicago um yeah where me and brad may made a bet for 500 dollars uh who's gonna fight bob over first and then we sobered up <laughs> <laughs> well you know what's funny it's you, you say that because it's so true and and I mean, that was probably the biggest reason why I wrote my book was it, I, I think if you look at fans, uh, if they think you're in the NHL, NBA, Major League Baseball, NFL, whatever it might be, oh, he must have had a perfect life. Everything must have been great. No, no. Guess what? You know what? Most of the guys that got to the National Hockey League, they had roadblocks somewhere along the way or there, there was issues somewhere along the way. And they had to either get over them, around them or through them. And if you don't uh, persevere and get through those things, you're not going to have any success. And and I think that's so true. Uh, you know, I mean, yourself is is a, a perfect you know person for that. You know, you, you you picked a role that you needed to play in order to play in the National Hockey League, and you got it done. You played a long time, and I think that's very very important that people realize that you know we're human. And, and we're normal people, and we have problems, and we have things that we have to overcome. Listen, if you don't make a mistake in life, um, oh well, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Listen, I, I've made some mistakes. There's also been some fallacy about it too, where you like to clear up. And part of it was writing a book where I could control the narrative on the truth. Because when there's social media and there's so many things, no one has to say sorry for reporting things that are wrong. There, when there's things that come out in the media sometimes you you write it's called clickbait so they write the story for clickbait but they never have to write a response to being wrong about the facts it doesn't have mm -hmm. to happen and in my book i get to report it on the truth with documentation on all of it that was very important to me not only for my fans out there because most are understanding and some people can be idiots we've seen with Nas and Qadri just in the yeah. in, in what people mm -hmm. can say to people, um, hiding behind a keyboard, um, and, and that was very important to me. Not only for me, but for my kids, because I've embarrassed my kids a few times, and that's my fault. Not that I haven't made mistakes, and I take full responsibility for my mistakes, and I hope I don't make any more um, to the extent that it was. But I think that was very important in the therapeutic part of of all that went along. So I'm very proud well, of Barney, this. we've all made mis we've all made mistakes. I mean, there's no question about that. And uh, you know, you're absolutely right. I mean, I I'm just thankful that 
social media and cell phones with cameras weren't weren't around when I was playing. <laughs> well, I, I, but, I can. If, if there were, ahead, if Marty. there were, I wouldn't have a book. <laughs> I'm not so sure about that, but you know, now listen, Barney, I got to tell you, like the biggest thing we tell, we hear from people a lot. And when we first started this podcast was, listen, people really don't give a shit that you took a pass from Barney, went over the blue line, roofed it and scored three more like that. They don't want to hear that. They want to hear, uh, you know, you shit your pants, how you made a $500 bet drunk to fight Bro Pobert. They want to find out, you know, how you dressed up like a girl and then you stole all the guy's equipment and, as retribution for them getting you. That's what they want to hear. They want to hear the human side and what you guys do experience away from the rink as a professional athlete, but more along the lines, just as a regular guy. You guys mm-hmm. are awesome. And in ending, um, I don't know if I was human that night. I shit my pants because it felt like I was an alien. <laughs> <laughs> well, hey, said- let me just tell you, you're not the first person to ever do that. <laughs> it never well, happened twice. Yeah, that they don't want. So, okay, you're, you're a quick study. Now, Barney, listen, we want to thank you so much for joining us today. Best of luck when the book comes out. Listen, maybe we'll get you back on again when it comes out. We'll talk about the book. Uh, definitely going to be a great read, and I'm sure people are going to be entertained after they hear this podcast of what's in store with the book. So, again, thanks so much for this. Right. Barney, thanks a lot, pal. Hey, Squid, cheers. And keep up the awesome work, guys. <laughs>